Okay. So the first question is from actually last week, Mark Batten. I don't know if he's online today, but he had a couple kind of follow-up points and questions to what you were talking about last week. Mm-hmm. And the first one says, so a man who is addicted to alcohol and finally realizes his position as a helpless individual and because of it begins to call out to Krishna, is it then that right then he begins to move towards Krishna, even if he must do this call for, for help every day? And is it correct to think that it is adharmic to think that Krishna will protect me uh, if I keep asking for help but keep doing that sinful activity at the same time is that even worse than drinking that was the first question well I, this... I don't think i'll remember the second one if i start to answer the first one okay let me answer the first one uh, which has two parts if i recall correctly i'll say one thing about that to start with um i uh i witnessed a class of Prabhupada in los angeles new dwarka as he used to call it Many years ago, in which he said, Raso hum up Krishna says, I am the taste in water. He says, so, even if you drink alcohol and you are a drunkard and you say, Krishna is the taste in this wine, then gradually you will become purified. <laughs> so, um, there's never any harm for calling out to Krishna. And as soon as much as one does, then... Um, uh, one will get his attention. Of course, he should, will come in, 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 in stages and so forth, and he'll guide us to, to good guidance and so on. So, but regarding the first part of your question, um, yes, from that day forward, uh, one begins to appeal to Krishna for help, then, you can say his spiritual life with regard to Krishna Bhakti has begun. And um, so let us say, you give in your example, someone is an alcoholic, they can't give up the alcoholism, they keep drinking, they keep falling um, to uh, into that uh, habit, but they keep praying to Krishna. Hmm. So is there any value in praying to Krishna? Should they keep praying to Krishna in spite of not being able to follow? Krishna answered this in the eleventh canto of the Bhagavatam. He says that my devotees they have material desires and they cave into them at times, but still they're my devotees, and and that you know gradually they become they're able to overcome those those desires because of their devotion. There's a stage in Rupa Goswami's um, scheme of uh, development, the scheme of bhakti um, that we refer to as Anishta Bhajana Kriya, the, the stage of one's practice, Bhajana Kriya, that is not steady. So um, it's a given that we will pass through a stage where our practice is unsteady. What does it mean it's unsteady? That it's interrupted by other desires, by other habits, and then uh, habits formed in in the youth of an Adi <laughs> since time immemorial are difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. But um, 
the power of Krishna Bhakti um, as a means to overcome them certainly exceeds the power of one's own uh, strength, be it physical, mental, yogic, intellectual. And so we should take advantage of the help, if you will, the grace um, of Krishna that comes through appealing to him. <clears throat> and uh, no, um, uh, Mahaprabhu similarly prays in his Shikshastakam that I have an artist and an unwanted uh, are not the means of value, really. And um, so false values. So I think that something will make me happy. So even though I hear philosophically that it won't, I think that it does, I value it. Um, and even I find out that it doesn't through my experience repeatedly, uh, I have a trajectory, a kind of a momentum towards it, some scar for it. So I keep um, putting that value, giving that attention to that value. And um, Mahaprabhu says, because of that, he's, he's speaking as an example of a sadhaka. I have no taste in the name, although the name is relishable. It's full of all of Krishna's powers, shaktis. I mean, by by one of his shaktis, the whole world comes about. And so his name, the primary names are full of all of his shaktis. Mahaprabhu is saying that, that, just like, think about that, that's inconceivable. And the name has come to me, and it doesn't require me that I chant it in a particular way or that I reach a certain stage of purification before taking up the nam, nam seva and so forth. I can do it any, any time of the day, facing any direction, even if I chant in my sleep, it'll, I'll be benefited from that. Um, but still, I have no attraction for it. And what is the reason? Because my, because, I, because of an arthas, uh, getting in the way. Yeah, he says, Nam Nama So in the last line he identifies the problem. <clears throat> and uh, this is a very valuable verse for devotees to learn. Um it's um an example also of a point that Rupa Goswami raises in his Namastakam, his eight verses in praise of the name, the holy name, when he says that that um, the name of Krishna and Krishna himself, the named, the name and the named are one. But there is at the same time a difference between the two. And that is what? That even if you've offended the person, the named, his name stays with you, nonetheless. Right? Um, we see an example of this in Brahmaharidas, as he's often referred to, Advaita Charja referred to him as such. Um, the implication of that being that in his previous life as a Brahma, he interfered with Krishna's Cowherding by during the Brahma Vimohan Lila, trying to steal the coward boys and the calves and so forth. Um, and so it's, it's thought that as a result of that, um, the course of his, um, attaining perfection in Sakyabhav, 
which was the ideal that he was um, um, blessed to attain at the dawn of creation when Krishna gave him the Gopal Mantra, as explained in Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, the course would involve overcoming the effects of that offense. So it said that he took birth in Navadweep, quite auspicious, uh, but in the form of what was considered in terms of the socio-religious norms of the Hindus, the Varnashram system, an outcast. Hmm. Um, which would mean that um, he was raised in a family that had habits that were not conducive to bhakti. Hmm. Um, and so, of course, he got initiated by Haridas Thakur, and he, he became an Amacharya by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's um, grace. The point being here is what, relative to the discussion, that he offended Krishna, the named, but the name stayed with him in the next birth. And to what extent that he became the Namacharya, the, the very uh, person whose achar, whose character with regard to chanting the name um, is thought to be the example for all of us, sadhakas. So the name stayed with him. In the end, when he passed from the world, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu held his body in his own hands, danced with them. With his own hands, he dug uh, what became the, the, uh, the samadhi mandir in the beach for Haridas, indicating that all his parabdha karma, which was his body, the parabdha karma was completely eradicated by the chanting of the name. So the generosity of the name, Mahaprabhu underscores there in the second verse of Shikshastakam. And he's saying, despite the fact that I have an arthas, things distract me, bad habits may, 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 may surface and get the best of us at times. Uh, we should never give up the chanting. Um, uh, it's in, indicative of our, our need that much more. We don't have, because of that, qualification for gyan. Qualification for yoga to sit, for example, and meditate hmm, peacefully. But we can chant the name. Hmm. And even in our sleep, the implication of that, of course, is what to speak if I can chant benefit in my sleep, if I stay awake and I pay attention. So these verses, these kind of statements are meant to help us take advantage fully of the name by underscoring the virtues, the power of it in a limited sense. What to speak if I fully take advantage? So it's an impetus for us to with some effort and and um, effort to get grace, effort with prayer and intention and so forth to appeal to Krishna. And that the more earnestly we do that, the more difficult it will be when our samskars from the past confront us and tempt us and push, try to push us. When that happens, what hap- what was happening, if you're a sadhaka and your previous samskars, which involve some habits that are not conducive to your practice come in and t- take over you're being taken over by something other than yourself i mean it's your past in one sense but it has it has nothing to do with you as an atma you're like a robot then you're just like you're just absent from it uh, of course your will is there you know allowing it and you're, you're giving in with your, your will to it which implicates you in a sense but it's like not you. You should really try 
try to think this out and distance yourself from from um, that uh, that influence. And and so, the more we sincerely chant, despite our our shortcomings, the closer, the sooner those shortcomings will be overcome. So there's a there is the path of 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 uh, the, the the stage of unsteady practice. Pudupad Sridhar Maharaj gave a nice example. If you want to go to the highest mount in the Himalayas, you'll have to go to the foothills. So the foothills go up and down, up and down, up and down. So even when you're going down in bhakti, you're going up, is the idea. If you stay the course, stay the course. There's some pretty deep valleys for some of us, but... (laughs) but, uh, Stay, stay the course through the valley, and again you'll start to ascend. Right. So, well, there was a second part to his uh, question. Uh, yes. Um, let's see here. Oh, I had to do stuff at the same time. I didn't. <clears throat> oh, didn't. I'm not clear if you've answered the part. If it's offensive to basically think that Krishna will protect me and then keep doing the sinful activity. I think I answered that. Okay, so he actually has a a second question that's not connected to the first one. Yeah. Um, Okay, so he says, is the will of the jiva atma jnana or self-knowledge? And is self-knowledge only gained when the position of Krishna is ascertained? Because our self-position is always in relation to Krishna. And then the final part is... is uh, hold on, hold on right there. That's enough to try to digest and understand the question. The question is, is, Atma, is it Atma Gyan or is it self? No, he was asking if the will of the Atma is Atma Gyan. Or are they two separate things? I don't know what he means by Atma Gyan. Hmm. But um, the, the the atma has will. The will doesn't come from the mind, and will doesn't come from the body. Will doesn't come from the intelligence. Will is is one of the things, and probably primary, that differentiates the atma from those forms of matter: mind, body, intellect. So the atma has will. If it didn't have will, then there would be no meaning. We would just be robots. We would just be the movements of nature, if you will. So, um, now the more that we're covered by matter, the more our will is is covered over, right? So we may habitually continue robotically to perform the same activities and remain in the same pattern, the same track. Um, and and our will may not be um, we will be very operative there the more we're freed from the influence of matter the more the qualities of the atma are manifest the will being one of them therefore for example when the when the atma is fully purified from the influence of matter through through the aggressive bhakti then the jiva has will within goloka as I said, some coward boys like bananas, some like jackfruits. 
they have each of these desires, of course, are arising out of Sakyarasa, which is all pleasing to Krishna. Krishna's tasting jackfruits through the second tongue and through a third tongue, he's tasting um, uh, mangoes or bananas, or whatever may be the case, right? So, um, so the so the will, will is, is is something that is inherent. Um, in the Atma. Now, the more it's covered, it's just, let's let's take, for example, the life of a tree or a plant or an insect or something. Well, it's it's so much covered by matter that uh, its quality, its, its willfulness has been expressed, and as a result of which it has that karma. And in that situation, it's thought to be playing out that karma until it arises again to the human form of life where its will starts to you know come to the fore a little bit, and one can choose to do the right thing upon hearing from Guru, Sadhu, Shastra, for example, what the right thing to do is. So those are some thoughts on will, and I'm not sure how it answers your question, because I don't know exactly what you mean by Atma-gyan. Knowledge of the self, Atma-gyan, self-realization, well, that involves... um, Exercising the will, which is the, and with, with regard to bhakti, it's the effort, mm-hmm. um, and it's an effort to get grace. So these two things, effort and grace, they, they are central to the, to the life of the sadhaka. What is the rest of the question? Uh, he also says, is it correct to think that our only real will as an atma is to serve Krishna in our own capacity? Uh, no, you're willing to do other things. <laughs> you're quite willing to do other things. Uh, I think, the, if I understand the question properly, I think what's behind the question is the thought or the idea that um, in material life we have no will. But only in spiritual life do we have will. No, that would not be the case. Um, it is uh, our will that continues, perpetuates our material life. If you didn't have will in conditioned life, what would be the meaning of scripture which tells you do this and don't do that? If you have no will to make the choice to do one or the other, what's the purpose of the scripture telling you to do one rather than the other? So will is there. Um, it's what, what does Krishna say in the Gita? Apare amitastanam prakritin vidimepuram. He says, beside from the material energy, there's another shakti, that is the jiva. And that is making the world go round, he says. So what's making it go round is your will, your desire. Okay, so I think we've dealt with that question. Thank you. Next. Just a quick follow-up. So would it be fair to say then that it's the like materially conditioned will that makes the world go round because there is no real movement in the material world without that? Or is that... Of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you for that, Guru Maharaj. The next question is from Raj Hari. He says, oh, and Sean mentioned that we're going too fast, so I'll slow down. Uh, so Raj Hari says... It doesn't seem difficult to find in the streets 
people who have a negative idea of religion. They say, I'm spiritual, not religious. Could you please share some significant contributions of religion to the spiritual life of people? Thank you. Well, religion properly understood is the means to attain spiritual life. I often differentiate the two by the terms social religious orientation to life and a spiritual experiential orientation to life. Now, one could just as well say a religious orientation or a mystical orientation. Mm -hmm. So typically the religious orientation properly understood is meant to bring us to a mystical orientation and spiritual experience, experiential spirituality. So if you look at, if you want an example, look at the entire Hindu tradition. The entire Hindu tradition begins with Atato Dharma Jignasu. Now, speaking to human beings is the time to inquire into Dharma, the meaning, the Dharma, like the undefinable word, the Dharma the nature of things, the nature of reality, and and the implication of what I should do. What is my, what, what am I for? What is my purpose? So religion is not, you know, obviously a complete definition of the word, in English, definition of the word dharma, but because the nature of reality is that there's God and and we are the servants of God. Well, then, um, then Dharma has a religious connotation. So when the scripture says, Atato Dharma Jignasu, now is the time to inquire into religion. It means that, that other less complex forms of life cannot directly inquire into the purpose of life. Hmm. They are also atmas in tree bodies and animal bodies and bird bodies and so forth. But their particular karmic embodiment hmm, and condition does not afford them the facility to inquire about the purpose. They're simply preoccupied with the how questions, how to eat, how to mate, how to defend, how to um, sleep and so forth. Humans, on the other hand, are differentiated from the less complex form of life by being more complex. <laughs> and the complexity is that the question why arises. Hmm? Purpose, meaning. So all this is, is, is coming from consciousness itself because matter is just, just moving um, um, without a soul, so to speak. I mean, the soul moves it. That's another, that's another way of talking about it. So consciousness gives meaning. Uh, to matter, and it is inherently a unit of, of, of meaningfulness. It, it has purpose, and so forth. So, human life is the time to inquire into Dharma, right? And I have likened this: if, if you took an animal out of the wild and put him in a cage, 
that is the moral life or the religious life. So then you put a little food in and he tries to bite you, you pull it back and you teach him to say please and thank you, so to speak. And then, then maybe you can open the door and his tendencies from the wild, which might be to bite you or attack you, or, you know, have been, have been overcome. I mean, using a crude example, but human life, religious life, the moral life, you know, is meant for taming us from our animality and preparing us for spirituality. That's its purpose. It's not, it doesn't have a purpose unto itself. And that's where the problem comes. Because when, when the moral life is thought to be the purpose unto itself, well, it's just, it's, it's too relative. What, what is morally right or morally wrong in every circumstance? There's, there's too much, too much nuance. Um, so you press down here, it goes up over there. There are some things that are right, but I mean, you shouldn't kill, but, but sometimes you should. <laughs> you know, so what are those times? And, and, and what are the implications? It's very, very complicated, the moral life. But, but nonetheless, um, pursuing the moral life is, is, um, a kind of a precursor, according to the Hindu system, inquiring to Dharma, and then living according to the revealed texts, which tell us in a basic sense, um, how we should conduct ourselves in the world, even while those smritis like the monsmriti tell us that this, this can be updated, this can be updated according to time and circumstance. The smriti itself says that, monsmriti. Because hmm? uh, this is a relative thing and the world is always changing, right? The world is constantly changing. Um, and so, um, but to be preoccupied with the moral right, to be doing the right thing, avoiding the wrong thing, this is good. Mm-hmm. And when one becomes um, sufficiently inquires and applies oneself accordingly to religion, then in the Hindu system, one comes to the point of atato brahma jignas. Now is the time to inquire into Brahman. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you have graduated from the pursuit of Dharma, Artha, and Kama, mm-hmm. the, the, the objectives of the world. If we look at these things, Dharma, Artha, and Kama, it, it covers everything that you could possibly do in the world. To be virtuous, to be to please yourself, to sustain yourself, and so forth. Um, so what's beyond that? Moksha, to inquire into, into the nature of the Atman, right? Because we've got a fifth goal, Prem, Prema Pumarko, Maham, Part, Panchama, the fifth Purusharta, Artha, value, right? Purusharta of, 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 of humankind, the Purusharta, the, the goals of men and women, the values of men and women, they lie in virtue, in Pleasure in, 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 in sustenance hmm? and in moksha. Hmm? When they realize I am sustained, I am a unit of, I'm eternal, I am pleasure, I am a unit of pleasure, hmm? a unit of knowing, and so forth. Uh, so from, so the whole system is there. So, you, so religion is meant to 
bring one to spiritual life. Um, now, it's possible to pursue spiritual life without going through all that by sadhusanga. Hmm? Just got good sadhusanga and suddenly, you know, maybe Valmiki Ramayan, you know, he didn't go through the whole religious inquiry and so forth, but he, he met with Narada Muni and, and, he, and he began to take up Ram Nam under his direction, right? Um, so that's possible. Of course, what will happen is that by taking advantage of that sadhu sangha and applying ourselves towards the spiritual ideal in relative to our eligibility, then dharmicness or moral sensibilities will, will start to come within us if they weren't there previously. They'll start to manifest within us. They'll be, they'll, they'll be important before rasa comes, before mukti comes. That's why I said you should read the last, uh, well, I didn't say it today, but you should read the last uh, verse of the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, my commentary, what it means hmm, for Arjuna now to enter into the, the theology, hmm, which is the second six chapters of the Gita, beginning with chapter seven. Hmm. What kind of, how dharmically fit he turns out you know, to be. Hmm. So, um, so the place of religion, that's the place of religion. Are there any examples? Well, the Hinduism is full of such, uh, examples, right? Um, but, um, the, it is a popular saying these days that I'm spiritual, not religious. Now that can just be a, a sleight of hand, you know, um, what what is meant by that, you know, or any any number of things. A lot of times it's a rejection, as you say, of religion, which is thought to be don't you can't do this, you have to do that. And uh it's presented in such a way without understanding what it's what is at its heart and where it's in, where it where it's intended to take us, and thinking that it's that it's end unto itself. Hmm? Those types of dogmatic uh, presentations can have adverse effects. People can be adversely affected psychologically by that, and, and then they will develop a distaste for for religion. They they're, they're taught um, a superstition in the name of religion. They find out it's not accurate, it's not true, so they lose faith in that kind of dogmatic presentation understandably but still they have some they're, they're not ready to become materialist they have some idea that there is more 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 meaning to life and purpose and so forth so they start to identify you know largely to be honest with you with eastern spirituality in some form or another that they've heard a little bit about that's made an ingress into the western world they think about it they they, they, they like some of those ideas um it, compassion, you know, is emphasized. Um, and, and that's not something that was emphasized to them in their religious upbringing. Maybe it was emphasized, get those guys, they're bad, they're sinful over there, you know. These people are going to hell, you know, and, and so forth. Rather than when, when the mystic speaks, well, compassion is one, of, it's, 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 it's all inclusive and so forth. So that's very attractive. So they, 
they identify with with some of these deeper spiritual ideals that resonate with them. But then, you know, it's one thing to identify with them and another thing to actually take up the practices by which universal compassion will actually arise. You don't want to become a people pleaser in the name of, you know, universal compassion, which would be really just a psychological dysfunction. Hmm? What's that thing called, Vernishta, where you... Codependency? No, the other one we were talking about the other day. That, you know, you can't... Don't be angry, everything, you know. Oh, toxic positivity. That toxic positivity. It's a psychological term. Toxic positivity, right? It's this kind of like psychological maneuver by which you pretend to yourself and fool yourself to be this compassionate, all kind, non-judgmental person. And so, it, it, you know, it, it's not what you really are at all. Uh, and it's not what the, what, what the sadhus, uh, saints are talking about and experiencing. So that, that can be a, uh, you know, a problem. Um, but you know, it, it's good. Uh, it's, underst- well, let's say it's understandable. People identify with core spiritual ideas, but you know, they need to understand that, that the love as I often say, let's say, let's call it the love side or center of the, of the mysticism that they so much identify with, understandably, is really born or what gives birth to it in actuality, love is sacrifice. The womb from which mm-hmm. suffering is born is attachment. The womb from which love is born is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, the religious life does give us some, you know, we have to make some sacrifices. There are some do's, there's some, some don'ts. And, and, you know, when we go from the religious life in Hinduism, Varnashram, for example, to the path of bhakti, well, the do's and don'ts of Varnashram don't always pertain to us, but there are do's and don'ts within bhakti, which is more or less, you know, your moral compass is what's favorable for bhakti. That's good. What's not favorable for bhakti? That's bad. It's real simple. It's harder to put into practice, but that's there's your moral compass. It's there, right? It's there, and so you know the the, the idea that I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. That's a valid idea, but what that what that would mean for it to be true hmm, might be quite different than what um, people are. Um, are, are thinking when they uh, invoke that um, that idea. Hope that helps. I had a follow up thought. Uh, my experience has been that people who say that they are spiritual but not religious, really, what they resist is this external authority in the form of this like social structure that tells them what to do, without really them like internalizing the principles and ideas, but it's just this force outside force that tells them how to behave. And I was thinking how like, um, that's really kind of like the old school model of how to arrange a society is that you have a King or you have this really strong head of state or something that uh, kind of like 
enforces rules and and so like religion in a lot of ways in my opinion is kind of like behind the times in a way that they're a little bit stuck in the past a lot of times in that kind of super heavy top-down kind of way of seeing things and it's nice i think about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, like especially bhakti you know like how he emphasizes uh like personal experience and how it's an experiential path and how that's really i think what these people are looking for is that they can understand those principles themselves and like be self-directed but still follow these universal principles sounds good yeah good comment thank you and then the next question is from ramaniya devidasi a shell Prabhupada disciple and guru march's god sister she says Hare krishna maharaj Please accept my obeisances, all grace to Srila Prabhupada. There are lots of stories of the Manjaris who are very attached to their personal service to Radha, and they have no desire at all to have personal contact with Krishna. Are there also gopas who have that similar attachment for Balaram and only desire to perform this personal service to him? Right. Um First of all, the Manjari or handmaiden of Radha, it's not that she has no interest in serving Krishna. She has every interest in serving Krishna. She loves Krishna. She has kama, spiritual kama for Krishna, but that spiritual kama, romanticism, I mean, there's nobody else in her life who has romantic appeal with Krishna, but her romantic uh, attraction for Krishna is subjugated by her servitude to Radha. And with regard to sadhana siddhas, those who become perfect by sadhana, there's a calculation here that's involved. And there's there's some math to it, if you will. The calculation is what? Hmm? I want to please Krishna. That's what bhakti is about. But the calculation is, nobody can please Krishna more than Radha. Hmm. Okay. So let me become a handmaiden of Radha. Hmm. Then I can please Krishna the best. Hmm. So the Manjari wants to please Krishna. Hmm. You can't get around that. Hmm. But the Kama side of it, the romantic attraction for Krishna is subjugated by this calculation and ultimately by this a- its application in the service of Radha. It's a type of Madhuri Rasa hmm? called Tadbhava rather than Sambhog. Sambhog means to have the direct desire to have um, romantic union with Krishna for his pleasure because he wants that, because he likes that. Hmm? Um, it's not a, not, not a selfish desire. But the Tadbhava is the preferred form in which the the, the the in Madhurya Rasa, one subjugates oneself um, to, to, to Radha, become a handmaiden of Radha, and assists Radha in uh, romantic unions with Krishna, mm-hmm. which gives Krishna, you know, uh, which gives Krishna more pleasure than if the Manjari were to have direct union with him. Now, some people say. Oh, there is some evidence that Manjaris have direct union with Krishna, and so forth. And they, uh, but but uh, I don't agree with those um, interpretations of a couple of commentaries here and there. Um, 
they don't make sense in that that would be a, that would be that would be a um how would you say it that would give less bliss to the manjari <laughs> the more bliss is 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 assisting radha that's why they're doing that they they they're, they're pleasing krishna more let's say by that by assisting radha than having direct union with krishna that would please him less. And the only ob- objective is to please him. So it's the emphasis of Krishna Kaviraj Goswami, of course, and, and many others. So um, so it's not that the Manjari doesn't want to serve Krishna. She wants to serve Krishna. She has a certain calculated idea how to serve him, which is you know well thought out, right? But with again begin to Krishna Krishna's romantic um, overtures and and so forth, that then he does that to see her resist and show her allegiance to Radha, which gives him more pleasure than if she would acquiesce to his requests. So um this is this is the beauty of, of, of the Manjari Baba. So it's not that, that the Manjari doesn't doesn't want to serve Krishna, only wants to serve Radha. Um and you can't really separate the two. Radha is the very fullest uh, embodiment of service to Krishna. So if you're serving that which is dear to Krishna, are you not serving Krishna? So there are many ways to talk about it, but we should avoid thinking that the the Manjari doesn't want to serve Krishna. Hmm? Um, Some statement like that may come or may appear like that in the Leela when Krishna asks this or another thing. She says, no, I'm doing this. But that that I've explained. So that said, um, um, the question is whether or not there are coward boys that like Balaram more than Krishna and therefore don't want to serve Krishna but want to serve Balaram. But as I explained, the Manjaris, they want to serve Krishna. So typically amongst the coward boys, of course, they love Krishna and Balaram. Equally, mm-hmm. they are both the objects of love for the, uh, for the for the sakas. Now, because at the same time Balaram is both deity and example of devotion in Sakirasa, mm-hmm. he has a dual role. So he is Bhagwan, but he's Bhagwan in the mood of serving Krishna. Mm-hmm. So, um, even Balaram only wants to serve Krishna. So, if you only want to serve Balaram, well, he only wants to serve Krishna, right? So, the only way you're going to be able to serve him is to assist him in serving Krishna, something like that. So, it's, it's a similar idea. Now, that said, it is possible, um, there's something called suhadrati, and a division of that is called bhavulas. Suhadrati means love of the friend. So all the love in Vrindavan is centered on Krishna. Of course, Balaram is also Krishna. He's, he, he's expansion of Krishna. So the love is centered on, in Sakiras, in Krishna on, and Balaram. That's a fact. Um, but it could be 
there's a possibility that typically, typically, uh, Suradrati means love of the friend. So there's love of Krishna and there's love of the friend. So let's say you love Krishna, um, but you love, um, you also love, um, you know, a friend, a gopi friend or a gopa friend, which you would, of course. Hmm? Then that love of the friend acts like a samchari bhav, which means it augments your stai bhav for Krishna. Hmm? It ornaments it, embellishes it. But there might be instances, scripture says, Rupa Goswami teaches that, that while there's love of Krishna and there's the love of the friend, who's also a devotee of Krishna, there are instances where the love of Krishna exceeds slightly the love of the friend. There are examples when the love of the friend and the love of Krishna are equal. And there are very rare examples when the love of the friend slightly exceeds the love of Krishna. Hmm? So let's take back to the Manjaris. They love Radha hmm? more than Krishna, a little bit. Hmm? Of course, that means they love Krishna, but... And, and so this is called babulas. It's a division of sohidrati, love of the friend. And in that situation, then their sanchari bhav, excuse me, their stahi bhav for, for, for Krishna hmm, acts like a sanchari bhav for their love for Radha. It augments their love for Radha. Their love for Krishna has a reverse effect. Typically, the love of the friend would augment your love for Krishna. But if the love of the friend exceeds the love of Krishna, then the love of Krishna augments the love of the friend. It's called babulas. Very peculiar. But it's possible that this can extend to any number of examples. So let's take the example regarding the question, Krishna Balaram. One loves Balaram a little more than Krishna. As a Catholic boy, let's say. It's, it's not impossible. And... Uh, and then it could be an instance of, of Babalas, hmm? where the love of Balaram is nourished by the love of Krishna, hmm? rather than typically the reverse, right? Hmm? Just like the love of Radha is nourished by the love of Krishna in the Manjari's case, rather than the reverse, which is more normal, that the love of the friend would nourish the love of Krishna. In technical terms, but um, they come up relative to the question. There's a couple of follow-up questions. Uh, it seems like Vijaya Kumar has a comment. Well, it's, uh, a co- Made me think of Prabhupada's uh, poem uh, that you're talking about here, Gurudev, where Prabhupada says, if you do help me, Radha will be very pleased with you. I don't know how it actually goes, but yeah. he's Krishna in that sense. So that what you were talking about made me think of that. So I don't know if you could comment on that. Mm-hmm. Well, Krishna's, uh, Prabhupada's reasoning with Krishna there, he's, this is the kind of way in which a uh, an Armasaka friend like Subal would talk to Krishna. Hmm. He's fully acquainted with Krishna's romantic life. 
assists him in his romantic life, assists Radha in her romantic pursuits of Krishna. So he's telling Krishna that Radharani, if Radharani is pleased with you, then your life is going to be successful. So therefore Radharani's servant asked me to do this, so he should give me the power. It's um, not exactly um, what we're talking about, but it's related to what we're talking about. And, 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 uh, and, and the, the case for the virtues, if you will, of, of, of serving Radha, which is true for the Manjari, and it's true in a slightly different way for the non-Mustakas, who are also the friends of Krishna and their king cards or servants of, of Radharani. Thank you for your comment. And mm-hmm. Kishore, Kishore has another follow-up question. Mm-hmm. He's doing well. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking a little bit about your answer last week about the deities' names and in connection to Balaram and I was wondering if it's common for the Gopas to call Balaram Dauji and if they all kind of have a perception of him as an elder brother to all the Gopas or how that works. Dauji is actually kind of a Hindi uh, word term. I don't know if, it has, if it's really a Sanskrit term, but uh, that's uh, just a side point, but it means older brother, right? So, yeah, no, that's the... The idea of everybody. He's the older brother. Hmm. Um, it'd be hard not to, uh, not to remember that given all the, uh, attention that Yashoda Maya gives to this, this point consisting of Balaram. Take care of Krishna. Watch out for him. Oversee him. Um, and so forth. So, no, I mean, yeah, no, no cowhard boy is going to forget that. Balaram is the older brother of Krishna. But how well he fulfills that role, they may question it at times. Ram, Ram, Mahabhav. Oh, Ram, you're supposed to be big and strong, but what have you done so far in the Prakat Leela? Krishna's killed Putana and Srinivarta and Bhakasura and Matsasura and you're, you've done nothing, but you're supposed to be the older brother. This is, they speak like this to him in the Denukasur Lila, which is the beginning of the Pogana Lila, the boyhood Lila, which, during which Balaram becomes prominent. Some prominence comes to Balaram in, 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 in the boyhood more than in the childhood, and it becomes a little bit obscured in the romantic life. But yeah, everyone thinks of him in that way. He's the older brother. He's the older brother. What else? So uh, Sharda Devi has a comment. She says, uh, in the book Sri Kalpa Kalpa Druma by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, there's a part where he says, in the beginning, I yearn to become your maidservant and make you happy by serving you when you meet with Krishna. She's just giving further praman for what you were saying earlier. Right. Krishna Chakrati Thakur is writing there about Manjari Bhava in the mood of Manjari. Yes. Okay, so then the last question comes from Madhumangal Radhakanta. 
he says, I know this is a little lengthy question. Please forgive me for that. But it's something important that I'm trying to make sense of. So I live in a very small town in the mountains. And Sham, I'm going to try to go slowly, although it's long, but bear with me. Uh, the population is probably just under a thousand. People here are not very educated, especially in matters of spirituality. I am also not a very good preacher. Growing up in a big city and living in major cities most of my life, I have always worn devotional clothes and tilak in public, and people never really cared or said anything. Even when living in rural areas on our communes, the local small town people knew that we were the Hare Krishnas, quote unquote. And even though they didn't know the philosophy, they understood that this is just the way we dressed. They were accustomed to seeing us around town and didn't much care or say anything. Since moving deeper into the country and into a much smaller town where there are no other devotees and they've never seen anyone in traditional devotional dress before, sometimes it's a little weird for them, I think. I chose to wear devotional dress in public because I'm used to it. And also for me, dhoti and kurta is more comfortable than jeans and karmic clothes. I also like that it makes me stand out a little more and allows me to be unique and my own character. I have seen the confused look on people's faces when I'm in public wearing devotional clothes and tilak. And even though I have never ever been disrespected or treated any differently by the town folk here, I know they are curious and don't know how to approach me to ask about it unless it's a kid and you know kids don't hold back and say whatever they are thinking. I've been called out and pointed to several times by kids saying, what, look at that. Hey, Kate, cut to the chase. What's the question? Um, Get the picture. Hold on. Okay. What is the best way to use the situation to my advantage and preach to them in a way that they can at least gain a little knowledge, but without going too deep, that it totally goes over their head? Thank you. Well, is he asking whether he should continue to wear the clothes? or He's, he's going to do that anyway. I don't know. Uh I think that uh, the dynamics of a preaching situation are something that have to be determined by the preacher, and um, and he has to make or she has to make the determination by the results. Mm -hmm. So you have to judge the thing by the results. So you may try any number of ways to share uh, the good tidings of Gauranitananda with people, and then judge by the results. It may not be the best thing to dress in a particular way, in a devotional way, to do that in certain environments. Prabhupada stopped us um, from doing Hari Nam Sankirtan in Bombay because people were disrespecting the Nam Sankirtan. Prabhupada allowed us and wrote about it in his books in Chaitanya Charitamrita and Bhagavatam to wear secular clothes for distributing books in certain places, for example. Um, so, uh, and he gave examples of Pratapurudamaraj's son coming in disguise uh, I anyway, and in, in our moon also in the Bhagavatam. So uh, that may be part of the strategy, uh, but you know you're there, so you have to determine that. Um, 
as far as um you know you bring up the the fact that, that young people ask you um well you know young people ask and then they go home and they talk to their parents and parents might say you know look at that guy's weird and then the younger person would say no i talked to him he's like this he's like she's like that so i don't think it's 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 it's, a, it's a, if you're going out and you're dressed like that and young people ask you and talk to you i, I don't think that that's a loss that's probably a gain hmm? um and it, it may be itself a a venue to to reach um older people who you know, a little standoffish or don't know what to think about you. Um, but again, I mean, you're in the situation, so you have to, by trial and error, decide if you want to share the teachings there with those people, what's the best way to do that. There's no particular formula that um, I could give you. Um, I could say, I could say this, that Prabhupada was, cons- was, was um, of the opinion that to get people to read literature about Gaudi Vaishnavism would be um, um, a good starting point, especially if what they read about, they then had the opportunity to see embodied in an example of a devotee. So he stressed his devotees um, make an example of themselves of good character mm-hmm. um, and that may require adopting to the circumstances and where you live what the habits are uh, to one extent or another learning the ways of the people mm-hmm. conducting oneself, oneself accordingly as long as that conduct doesn't is not unfavorable to bhakti mm-hmm. they have mannerisms they have norms there and so on and so forth uh, you know, maybe they blow your, their horn at you when you go by. So you, you should start blowing your horn at people when they, when they go by. What, whatever may be the, may be the case. Um, you have to kind of enter into, into the minds of people, their ways of thinking. Their, their habits arise out of their way of, way of thinking. While some of their habits may be uh, in need of change to participate more directly in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, probably many of their habits don't uh require to be, to be to be changed they don't need for example to change their dress to become a Vaishnav. Hmm. Um, so um to get into their head understand them to uh, if you want to convey something to people it's best if you understand the people how they think hmm. Step inside their shoes. Try to understand how they're looking at the world and why they react or act the way they do. Hmm. Then you're at least 50% of the way there because suddenly what they do that seems strange may not seem strange to you. Hmm. And thus you have some commonality with them. You, you find that you have more in common with them than maybe you thought. You thought I'm standing out here like a like a sore thumb, but you may not be much different than them in many respects. And you find out that, um, as you find that out and understand them, why they act the way they do, they act in a certain way because of an understanding that you also have that causes you to act in a slightly different way, which is cultural. Mm-hmm. But there's no real difference between the two cultural expressions uh, in pursuit of the same thing or motivated by the same thing. So it's important Try to understand people you know, that you're trying to talk to 
how they think, why they think, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so you, know, you make an effort to enter into their, their minds. Yoga is about understanding feelings of other people and identifying with them. That's what causes you. How do you, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? You have to put yourself in their shoes hmm? and understand their sufferings, their, their, their joys. Hmm? Um, and Krishna says that's the highest yogi who can do that. Hmm? So, uh, you know, what I'm talking about here is that preaching is not just giving some dogma to people either. Hmm? Right? Um, just slapping something on top, you know, telling them, stop doing this, do this. It's a much more deep and organic, rich affair, communicating, communicating, actually being understood by understanding them. So I would suggest, you know, consider such. And if, if you like to dress like that and that, that works best for you, um, and then, and it works for young people. I don't think that's a loss necessarily on the older people, but that you have to judge. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a cultural thing, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, so there's some rel- relativity to it. Obviously, the Vaishnav dress is favorable for bhakti and it reminds us of who we are and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but again, there may be places. Where if you want to reach out to people, it may not be effective. I'm not saying that that's the case there, but that's that's also worth considering. So preaching means you know you have to pull out everything <laughs> here. Uh, it's not a platform. You have to pull out everything and reconsider everything. Real preaching means everything's up for reconsideration. What you say, how you say, what you do. I, I, that's why Prabhupada said, for preachers, there are no rules. Now, but, but he said, but don't, don't think, don't you do that. Don't think that you're a preacher. He said that talking to half a dozen sannyasis. I was there at the time. For the preacher, there are no rules, but don't you think that, don't, not that you can. So, uh, Prabhupada, we had a member in the Los Angeles temple, came in the kitchen and they were cooking and Prabhupada reached and, Tasted it, like what? You're not supposed to taste it before you you offer it. He thought Prabhupada had violated his own rules, and Prabhupada said, "I can do what you cannot." So, so for the preacher, there are no rules, but don't you take it? <laughs> but, but but you have to think about it. You have to think about that. What that what that means to communicate the idea? How much you have to understand the ideas, the thoughts themselves, for you to be able to communicate them effectively uh, you have to go deep within the, what what the, what the teaching means what it, 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 what's relative to time and place circumstance what's what's essential and all that so it's a deep thing to be a, to be a preacher but again um in a basic sense Prabhupada felt that uh, if people would read the literature that would be a good start for them. So he encouraged us to distribute books. So if you have some introductory uh, books, I mean, but, you know, I mean, given the circumstance, you might want to write some. Hmm? You're in the Appalachians, you know, you got to write for the Appalachian people. Um, 
and have probably not any literature that, you know, really, you know, really gets inside of their heads and presents Krishna consciousness from that point of view. But, you know, you have some literature, some introductory literature we try to share with them. You might go to the library, hang out there, where people read. Um, um, and those who have the curiosity to read and educate themselves, you know, maybe uh, different. But, I mean, are you looking for the people within the group that are most susceptible, let us say, or you, you know, you want to look for anybody and everybody. So it'd be different for anybody and everybody. You go to the library, you're going to look for people to read. And 50% of the people there may not read, may not be interested in it. They may be, you know, just glued to the television and they might be, uh, and one end of the political spectrum on another that they're concerned with or not concerned with at all or religious fanatic. And so it's, it's still a wide range of people. I would say you probably have all, all range of people. You have intellectual people there. You have, Laboring people there, you have again agricultural and um, mercantile people. You have probably the administrators, war veterans, and so forth to look at it from a Varnashram point of view. So there's all kinds of people too. Um, so you know another way to look at it is you you, you try to talk to people. Maybe you share books with people. On you know at the, at, at the library or something as I said have people come out to the library share a book with see and then uh, you know we're looking for a few few people not the whole whole group a few people um, I mean those are some thoughts um, but you have to experiment and you have to you know, see what uh, what uh, Judge, judge what you're doing by the results that you're getting. If something you're doing is getting a negative result, you consider it because preaching is the tactic that is, is relative. It can be changed. There's, there's not a hard and fast rule in that. Long answer to a long question. Okay, thank you very much, Kurumach. So next week, it's the 2nd of July. You'll be able to give that Sunday class. I'm just checking. You're flying out on the 4th, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so we'll have, a, we'll have a call next week and then no calls two weeks after that. Thank you. Very good. Haribo. Haribo.